So it's a story most people are familiar with. Even non-Christians know its general outline. Human sin, God decides to do something about it. God commands Noah to build an ark and take with him his family and two of every kind of living creature. God sends a flood. There is mass destruction and death. But Noah and his family are saved, and they are charged with starting creation anew. We've often sanitized the story, making it a children's tale, depicting it in nursery decor and toys. But it's actually a much deeper more telling account of God's relationship with humanity and creation. We looked last week at the story of the serpent, Adam and Eve, and how brokenness entered creation through their actions. And the chapters between that and these from which we read today, the world had continued to become even more broken. Violence comes when Cain, who is jealous of his brother, kills Abel. And it continues with more killings, more people refusing to heed God's word to Cain. Sin is waiting to destroy you. Humanity is destroying itself and the world. And God decides it's time to act. We often frame this story in terms of God becoming angry and deciding to destroy the world. But again, the destruction is already happening. So God devises a plan to redeem creation from that fate. At the heart of the story is our God who feels deeply. God is devastated, crushed, angered. It's anger sitting atop a deep sorrow, a sorrow that convinced God that the world would be better off without humankind, better off if there were no trace left than any of us were ever here. And yet God can't quite do that. God can't give up on us entirely. God just can't seem to abandon the world that was made so joyously, so wondrously, a world deemed good and very good. Think about it. God could have just destroyed creation and everything in it. Instead, God turns to Noah to help reboot this world that has gotten so out of control, so off course so tainted by sin and evil. Noah seems to be one of the good ones who was left, one who is still in relationship with God, one who trusts God when he is commanded to do this crazy thing. Who else would build a huge boat like no one else had ever seen 600 miles from the nearest body of water and then board it with his family in a zoo full of creatures even before a single raindrop fell? Clearly, Noah was a man with great faith in God, and God has great faith in Noah. Noah does what is asked of him. We can only imagine how miserable it must have been in those close quarters with family and animals of every kind. We forget that although the rain lasted 40 days and 40 nights, the flood lasted for 150 days. But as uncomfortable as it might have been, I suspect Noah and his family were gathered, were grateful that they had been spared the fate of everyone else they knew. God had spared them so that they might, they might join in God's plan to save that which God had created. Now, this is an interesting reversal of the initial creation. You remember the waters were separated, ordered. God told them where their limits were and set up boundaries. Now, because humans have destroyed boundaries, God does the same. And the waters are let loose and become a terrible destroyer. 
Or maybe it's not destruction that God has in mind so much as a good washing. The waters removed from the earth that which is dirty, sullied, a muddied version of what they were created to be. Perhaps this is how God destroys the viruses, the worms, the things that keep the system from operating as it should. With them gone, a new start, a reboot would be possible. It's interesting to me that God knows there's no guarantee that humanity won't choose a path of wickedness again. Yet the Holy One is willing to risk it. God doesn't give up on us, even risking our breaking God's heart with our actions yet again and again and again. And we do. As we continue to look at the book of Genesis, we will see that humans will continue to grieve God. Time and time again, we will destroy that which God created. And time and time again, God will resist the urge to destroy us and will instead become what you could call a suffering God. God will continue to bless God's people and they will continue to misuse and abuse those blessings. God will make covenant with them. And they will continue to break those covenants, not uphold their end, break their promises. But God who loves us still and always will continue to reach out to keep trying to try to help us know how to have life and life abundant. When I think of this Bible story, I imagine that God's tears fell and that's what flooded the earth. This ancient story was written as a reminder that it is not darkness not vengeance that is at the heart of God. No, there is a deep sorrow, a sorrow born of that limitation God has put in place not to act in anger, not to punish us for everything that we have and continue to do to one another in God's good earth. It is a story about God's remarkable decision to remain steadfast in love toward us in spite of everything. The good news is not just that there was a Noah who survived the flood, but that there is a God who will not abandon us. Even when we make a mess of things, and we do, even when we destroy relationships and creation, even when we have to suffer the consequences of our own sinful actions, this God does not turn away. This God cries for us, and with us. This is the God who sent the Christ. And when we did violence to him, yes, even him, and hung him on a tree, this is the God who resurrected him that we might know victory over death. This is the God who, when Christ ascended to reign, sent the Holy Spirit to continue to offer us help and comfort. This God has every reason to be angry and to do violence, but instead, Instead, this God loves, for God so loved the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.